Thank you, Greg, and those that serve with you in leading us in worship. I hope that you seize the opportunities that God affords us to worship when we come here um, and free from the concerns of the people around you and just being able to focus on the Spirit above us. Appreciate you being here this morning. I hope you have a Bible, something that you can open up or turn on, and that you would join me in the letter of Jude. The letter of Jude. If you came in and you got a bulletin on the back of that, there'll be some notes um, that we're going to work through during our time together um, in this letter of Jude. And so I hope that you will find your way there. If uh, um, you aren't familiar with where the, the letter of Jude is at, feel free to use the table of contents in the front of your Bible. Or if you go to the very end of the Bible and you get in the book of Revelation and you just take a left, the short letter of Jude just before the book of Revelation um, is the letter of Jude. So uh, 25 verses in all, maybe a page, maybe two pages in your Bible, however your translation is laid out. But we are in the letter of Jude. The plan was to finish this letter as we walked through it together as a church a couple of Sundays ago. Planes changed, and instead of being here and finishing up through the letter of Jude, I had the privilege and the high honor of spending Sunday morning um, with my beautiful bride. And uh, we don't get to do that very often. It's just the two of us and a newborn baby in the hospital. And so it was a great treat to be able to spend that time together. And um, Greg made it very clear as he filled in for me. He said, well, I'm not going to finish that. We'll leave Spence to do that later. And I thought, well, you know, it would have been cool if you would have went on, brother. But then as I've been spending this last week in this uh, finishing just little short section of the letter of Jude, I thought, there's a lot of application to where we're at in January 1 of 2023. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but when you come to the new year, one of the things that oftentimes we talk about is new year resolutions. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you make them. I'm not going to ask you if you do make them and what kind you make. But when we come to this time, it is whether you make resolutions or not, we can agree universally that is a time of fresh starts. And it's a time of thinking, okay, so as the calendar rolls over, I've got a new opportunity, I've got a new chance, I've got a new time to do something different. And sometimes we think about uh, new fresh starts in the terms of physical changes, something that you need to do, whether it's like Kale and I, and we need to add some more muscle to, uh, to counter counterbalance some of that fried food, or, or if it's something else that we do, sometimes we think about, about it being physical, New Year. Fresh start. Sometimes we think about it being relational, something that you need to do or something that you don't need to do. Sometimes we think about it as being vocational, a job, an achievement, an education, something like that. But I wonder how many times we come to a new year and we think about it as a spiritual matter, as a spiritual situation. And how often do we come to the beginning of a new year and we take time to take spiritual inventory to say, this is what God has done in my life in this past year, and this is what I would love to see God do in my life for this coming year. In addition, it's a great opportunity for you if you are not, and if we are going to be honest, the majority of the people in this room, if you are not in the daily practice of being in the Word of God, it's a great opportunity to say, I'm going to purpose this year to be in my Bible on a daily 
basis. And so when you come in at either door on those tables, there are Bible reading plans. Now, that's not the only Bible reading plan. That is not the approved, authorized version of the Bible reading plan. It is a Bible reading plan. And I would encourage every single one of us to think about how am I going to systematically, intentionally, and faithfully read through the Bible. So as we think about coming into this fresh start, if you are there in the letter of Jude, Jude 3 has been the focal point of everything that we have been looking at in this letter of Jude. And to me, it's a bit of a marching orders, a bit of an exhortation looking forward into 2023. In Jude 3, he writes this to the believers, to the church that he is writing to. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, I've told you before, and we've, uh, you probably have tired of me hearing it, but when he talks about the idea of contending, he's talking about that you are struggling with, that you are fighting for, that you are holding fast to. And so he says, I want you, believer, I want you, brother or sister in Christ, I want you to recognize that we have an opportunity to contend for the things of God. So we've walked through this letter of Jude and we've looked at the idea of Jude reminding us of who we are in Christ. He is reminding us of who is against us. He's reminding us of who we are contending with. And then this morning, I want you to consider with me in just these last two verses in the letter of Jude, his final marching order saying, so this is how we contend. This is how we shall contend. Now, at the beginning of your Bible, depending on how your translation is laid out, you might have a heading something like doxology. Now, for Adam Carter, that may not be familiar with what doxology is or the difference between a benediction and a doxology. Because some of your translations are going to say benediction, and some of your translations are going to say doxology, and some of them aren't going to have anything in there. And you may come to it and you're like, I don't know what this is for, and you just skim right past it. But it's a great opportunity to be reminded about the historical wordings in the church. A benediction, as Adam so clearly and so helpfully pointed out to all of us last Sunday, was a blessing over the people. It is usually traditionally used at the end of a service when somebody either prays a blessing, an encouragement, or some type of an exhortation over the people. Okay, we've come in, we've worshipped God both through the singing and the reading and studying of his word, and now go forth, go out, and be faithful to the Lord. That's what usually a benediction is. Doxology is a little different. A doxology is usually used to give some type of praise or glory to God. So some of your Bibles are going to say, to the praise of God. I think the New King James, the New International Version, the the New Living Translation will say something about praise to God. But the idea that what Jude is coming into, and I want this kind of to be in the background of everything we're going to look at. What Jude is saying is that I want you to understand as we go out, we want to give all praise to God and we want to give all glory to God. That flies in the face of where we're at so many times in our society. Because our society wants to be man-centered, me-centered, I-centered. And yet all throughout the Word of God, we're reminded that this world is not about me. This world is not about you. And this world is not around a person on this earth. This whole life, this whole last year, this whole coming year, it is all to revolve around Jesus Christ. So as Jude comes in, this last letter, and he gives the encouragement, he gives the exhortation, but he is going to offer us a doxology. He is going to give praise to God, he's going to give adoration to God, and he's going to make sure that he ends it focused and pointing on God. 
I think there's a great point for me, just me personally, maybe not to you, but a great question about how did I end 2022? Did I end 2022 pointing to Jesus? And how am I going to end 2023? Am I going to end it pointing to Jesus? Or am I going to end it pointing to me? So when Jude comes in, in this final letter, two verses this morning, there's three words that I want to give you this morning. Three words that stick out to me, that you won't find them directly in the text, but three words that I want to submit to you that Jude is pointing us to. Three words that hopefully may be something that rings in your ear. You know there's some songs that you will hear that just get stuck in your head. And you just can't get these words out of your head. You can't get this tune out of your head or something else is going on. You're like, I just can't move on to something else. I hope these three words might resonate, might take up root, and might be something that you come back to again and again and again throughout the course of this year, thinking about what does that look like for me to contend for the faith. Three words. The first word is authority. Authority. Now, where do I get this from? Well, you start in verse 24 of Jude, uh, the letter of Jude. It's not a chapter, just verses. Jude 24. And, and read with me, if you would. Listen to what Jude says, or writes. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. As Jude Jude starts this doxology, this praise to God, He reminds us and points us back to the authority of God. Where do I get that from? I hope you will see it with me. In verse 24, he says, now to him. How to him who is able. Now he doesn't say now to the preacher. He doesn't say now to the man. He doesn't say now to the woman. He doesn't say now to the church. He doesn't say now to the government. He says now to him. Who is the him? The him, as he explains there in verse 25, is God. So he's pointing them and saying, now remember, now remember who's in charge, who is sovereign, who all of this belongs to. Now remember that everything that is happening, has happened, is happening, will happen. Everything is under the authority of God. So he's reminding the reader, he's reminding the listener, now remember, you are to contend for the faith, but, and you are to be faithful in obedience to God. But all of this happens under the authority of God. Look with me how this plays out. He says, now to him, to him who is able to keep you. And then he gives us three ways that God is able to keep us. The first one he says, and depending on how your translation and depending on how your word order is, some of the, some of the translations may be a little different. But he's saying, now to keep you from stumbling. Now what is Stumbling. Now, stumbling is not just going through there and stubbing your toe. Stumbling is not just going through there and stepping on a children's toy the day, the morning after Christmas. The the, the stumbling is like the idea of you and I falling into sin. And not necessarily falling into sin, but finding ourselves in a pattern, a behavior, a lifestyle of sin. Something that we were close to God in one season of life, and then we begin to fall away. We were intimate with God and close in our proximity to God, and then begin, begin, we begin to become dry and become distant from God. And if you live long enough in this Christian life, you will experience those ebbs and flows. Those seasons where you feel like you can't get any closer to God, and you're right there 100%, and then those seasons of life where you feel like you don't even remember the voice of God. And those seasons come back and forth. And he says, I understand that in this Christian life, in this Christian life, you're going to have the highs, and then you're going to have the lows. You're going to have the successes, and you're going to have the failures. 
And he says, do you understand this God is able to sustain you? He says in the text, to keep you from stumbling. I put there in your notes, he is able to sustain you. You don't have to figure this out by yourself in this calendar year. And whether it's relationships, whether there's loss of loved ones, whether there's uncertainties in your vocation, whether it's conflict in the community, whether it's related to health or the sickness of a loved one, you in nowhere, nowhere in Scripture have you been commanded or told to figure it out by yourself. Jude reminds us, Jude reminds that because God is sovereign, because God has authority, God is able to sustain us. So he says there in verse 24, to keep you from stumbling, and the second part, and to present you blameless. I put there in your notes that not only is God able to sustain, but God is able to prepare. God is able to prepare that idea and to present you. That idea that is there is to make you stand. It is to put you in a place. It is to present you in such and such a way. You think about those florists and they're bringing those flowers together and they're making an arrangement. They're placing the flowers in such a way to make a presentation. And the imagery that Jude is giving us is that what Christ is doing in our lives, in this Christian life, as we grow and as we pursue in faithfulness, is God is preparing us. Christ is preparing us for that eternity to come. So he says, I want you to understand that God is able to prepare, God is able to sustain, and then also he says to present you, where? Before the presence of his glory. I remind you this morning that because of the authority of God, God can not only sustain you, he can prepare you, he can also direct you. God is able to do all three of those Things. He is able not just to sustain, but to prepare and to direct us. Direct us where? To His glory. The whole goal of this Christian life is not to see how many possessions I can amount. And the goal of this Christian life is not to see how many friends I can have. The goal of this Christian life is not to see how popular I can be. The goal of this Christian life is not for my desire or my contentment. The goal of this Christian life is for the glory of God. And to be in front of God one day and to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So he says this is what God is able to do because of the authority of God. Now there's one little phrase at the end of verse 24. We should, we shall, we cannot miss. Notice the three words there in the translation I'm looking at, the English Standard Version. It may be different in yours, but it says, with great joy. And here's something I don't want you to miss this morning, and I'm not going to do an adequate job of trying to explain it, but it's this concept that Judah's wanted to remind us of, that as God is not only sustaining us, as he is preparing us, and as he's directing us, it brings him great joy. In other words, God is delighted in our submission. Because notice Jude doesn't say that God will do it or shall do it or without your permission do it. He says that God is able to do it. And as we submit to God and as we pursue after God and as we follow God, God is able to form us, to mature us, to craft us in the image of his son. And all that brings joy to God. Sometimes we think that God's mad at us. That God's against us. And then all God is doing is trying to see how miserable he can make our lives. You get to the book of Job. 
the first few chapters of Job, you think, God, that's not fair. God, Job doesn't, God, Job doesn't deserve that. And for chapter after chapter after chapter, you see the friends, the so-called friends come up. And they accuse Job of wrongdoing. They accuse him of sin. And Job says, no, this is not happening because of my sin. It's happening because of the sovereignty of God. And then when you get to the very end of the book of Job, what we see in the account is that God not only gave Job back what he took, but he doubled it. And one of the very telling things is at the very end of the book of Job, it says that Job died full of days. And if, if you go back and you look at that idiom there in the Hebrew, it's this idea that he died as a satisfied, content, complete man. Not because of his possessions, but because of what God had done in his life. And that's what Jude is saying here in this text. He's reminding us that God is able. God is able to do all of these things in our lives because he has the authority, because he has the sovereignty, because he has the providence, and he is our creator. And, you, and I can come to this and say, man, I want some of that. And he says, you can have some of that as long as you recognize and submit and follow my authority. We're in a day and age that everybody wants to do their own thing and define things their own way and get their own and get their own desire and their own path in life. And Jude says, Do you understand? Do you understand that all of these things God is able to do if we submit and if we stay in and under his authority. So he talks about the authority of God in verse 24, talking about him, him who is able, but then he goes on and he talks about priority. Priority. Notice with me in verse 25, priority. He goes on and he says, Now as him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And then, verse 25, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice he doesn't say that this provision or this ability of God is based upon my power or your power. It's not based upon the vote to the people. It's not based upon the whims of popular opinion. The ability of God is based upon the priority of God. He, he, he lays this out in another threefold pattern by saying, to the only God. And I want to remind you this morning, you may say, well, this is kind of a dull statement, Spence, but there's only one God. There is only one God. And you may say, well, that's just a given. Everybody knows that. And yet we look around the society and we look around the landscape of the culture and we may not have people that are falling down, worshiping a wooden pole or a metal image, but we have lots and lots of people that are spending their lives worshiping a screen. Or they're worshiping a possession. Or they're worshiping a relationship, or they're worshiping the opinion of other people. They're worshiping the opinion of man versus the opinion of God. And Jesus said, do you understand that there is only one God? There's only one God, and then he says the second part of verse 25, there is only one Savior. To the only God, our 
Savior. Not only is there only one God, but there is only one Savior. Now, why does that matter, Spence? Well, because many times we find our self-esteem or our self-worth or our value in us or in other people instead of God. He said there's only one person that saved you. There's only one person that came and died for you. There's only one person that you find your identity in, and that is in Christ. So not only do you have the priority of who God is, what Jesus has done, but then he goes on and he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So maybe another does statement to some of you. There's only one God, there is only one Savior, and there is only one way. John 14, 6 reminds us there's only one way to God, and that is through the Son, Jesus Christ. So Jude wants to make it apparently crystal clear that this whole idea of this life, the success, the hopes, the plans, the desires, the goals, the resolutions, whatever you may call it, everything is under the authority of God and everything should point back to God. There is only one way that God has given us to Him and that is through Jesus Christ. In our home, the kitchen and the dining room are kind of in one central area. And so you have the uh, back on this wall, you have the appliances and the kitchen sink, etc. And then kind of right in the middle, you've got this island. Got the dining table right over there, but in this island. And so you can imagine in, in a house of eight people, um, there's a lot of activity that goes on at this island. And on this island, we've got a couple of stools. And sometimes people will sit there at the stools and they'll sit there on the island and they'll eat. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll get a lecture from me. Uh, they'll get instruction. Uh, there's a, a lot of life that happens in the McConnell household sitting right there at that island. Well, right now we have a little one that's almost two years old and he wants to be involved with everything. So he comes along and he sees these two stools and he thinks to himself, you know what? The action is happening on top of the island, whether it's cooking or whether it's talking or whether it's preparing or whatever it may be. So what does he do? He quickly learns how to climb and get on top of the stool. The problem is he climbs and gets on top of the stool and there may be a knife up there. There may be a hot pan up there. There may be flour up there, whatever the case may be. And so I have told this young, sweet, little black-hearted sinner, do not get on the stool. And he looks at me, he's like, so he crawls around to the other stool. <laughs> and he tries to come up on that stool. Micah, get down. Not you, Micah, but the other Micah. Get down. And then he's like, well, I can't get up on that stool. So then what does he do? He tries to come around, and he tries to push the stool to the other side of the island. And then he tries to ascend the stool. No, get down. <sighs> so then he waits so he doesn't think I'm looking. And what does he try to do? He tries to climb up on the stool. No. Get down. So what does he do? He tries to find every way to get what he wants, knowing that I have told him not to do it. And as I'm watching this little child continually trying to get up on the stool, continue trying to do what I've told him to, I'm reminded how many times in our lives as adults we find ourselves trying to circumvent the plan of God by doing it our way and by choosing our path. And by choosing what we think is right for us. And by saying, well, I know the Bible says this, but you know what? I feel this. And you know what? I realize that the Bible says that I shouldn't do this or I should do that. But you know what? I think I know what's best in my own heart. And we try to find our own way through life thinking that somewhere along the way God owes us fellowship and relationship with him. 
And God says, the only way that you're going to have fellowship and relationship with me is through obedience and faithfulness to me. And Jude comes in here in verse 25, and Jude says, if you and I are going to, have, going to want, hope, and have this proximity, this intimacy, this relationship with God, the only way is through Jesus. A lot of times you and I think that we can get on this stool by ourselves. Our own sufficiency. I can figure it out. I'll figure out my own way. I'll do it by myself. And yet sometimes we're reminded that God has given us a way. So the authority and then the priority. The priority that God has given us. What obedience and faithfulness looks like. The question is, is will we prioritize the word of God over the priorities of ourselves? So he's due to saying, hey, you know what? When we give praise and glory to God, make sure we understand that it's because of his authority and it's because of his priority. And then the last part, and we're going to be done. The third word that I want to give you, not the third word that I want to give you is glory. That's what he says there at the last part of verse 25, verse 25b, if you will. He says, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. He is saying this whole thing is under the authority of God. It's based upon the priority of God, and it all comes back to the glory of God. That's what the whole doxology means. We are giving glory to God. Now, you may sit back, and you may fold your hands. You may say, well, why does God get all the glory? Because he's God. Why does God deserve all the glory? Because he's God. Why don't I get some of the glory? Because you're not God. Well, how do I get some of the glory that's God's? Because I want it some for myself. Be careful. That is what Satan did. Be careful. That is what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3. Be careful because that is the root of all sin, according to James, when our desires then lead us to sin. You see, part of this Christian life is understanding that it's not about our glory, it's about His glory. Why? Because God created us, because God has authority, because God then thus should have priority, and everything points back to God. And 10,000 years from now, if you find yourself at the throne of grace in heaven, it's not going to be because you got yourself there, it's going to be because God loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. It's all because of God. So he says, be glory, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Now, if you look up some synonyms to these words, that just means another word, Adam, that kind of, two words that can mean the same thing. I got you, I got you, I got you. The idea of glory is splendor or grandeur. The glory is that just simply because of the radiance of who he is. Majesty is the greatness of God. The fact that you and I can't even conceive just how great God is. This morning, I'm in Genesis 1 and 2 of my Bible reading. Imagine that. And you're going through the creation account. And it says right there in Genesis that God created, of course, everything that we know. But I keyed in on the idea where he created all the stars and he put them in place. Which means that God created every single star. That means that there is somebody in this whole existence that knows how many stars there is. Oh, you can do an internet search and you can find well how many stars are there. And you can find a lot of different ideas about how many stars are out there. But you know what? There is only one person that knows how many stars there are in existence. 
God. And not only does God know how many stars there are, he created all of the stars. So every single star that you and I look up and see, and all the ones we can't see, and all the ones that we don't see, and all the ones that we see one night, and we'll see a whole different set the next night because of the rotation of the earth, and because of the atmosphere, and all that stuff, all of that was put there by God. And we start to think that God owes me something. We miss the majesty of God. Jude reminds us, the glory, the majesty, the dominion, meaning his strength, his power, his authority, it says there in verse 25, his right, his ruling because he created it, because he owns it, because it all belongs to him. And he says all of these things before and now and forever, everything should glorify God. Well, how do we do that? We worship him. We worship him. How do we worship God? We worship God with our time. We worship God with our sacrifice. And we worship God with our devotion. So many times we think, well, you know, this glory to God, God, oh yeah, you got glory, good job, buddy. And we go on and we forget that this glory, the glory of God should then lead us to worshiping God. That's what Jude has in mind. He says that there should be a, a certain aspect of worship and not just worship, but submission. I put there in your notes to worship him, to submit to him, and then finally to obey him. If God has dominion, if God has authority, if God is majestic, and if God is to be praised and have glory, which he does all of those things, then therefore that means if we're going to obey anybody, we should be obeying God. And yet why are we in a situation today where we're obeying ourselves in our fallen state and not obeying God? And we find ourselves listening to man, doing what man says, following man's ideas, following man's prescriptions, and doing all the things based upon man and not based upon God. And Jude says, do you understand what this looks like to live for him? When you recognize his authority and you recognize his priority and you recognize his glory, the only thing that we can do say, I'm not enough. I need you. When was the last time you were at that point? When was the last time that you were desperate enough that the only hope you had was in Jesus? When was the last time that you found yourself in such a dependent state, you just said, God, I have no hope. I have no idea. And I have no plan apart from you. One of the dangers that we will find in this world is that this world is so very adept at keeping us both busy and keeping us convinced that we can do it by ourselves. And yet over and over again through the Bible, you find the men and women of God coming to the point that they say, I'm desperate, I'm dependent, and I'm going to devote myself to you. I wonder, when was the last time you and I just sat back and took stock in God's authority and in his priority and then asked ourselves, how much glory is he receiving from our lives? So then how do we steward? How do we steward this year before us? This year that started this morning, how do, we, how do we steward this for not only the glory of God, 
with the proclamation of his word. So Jude comes, uh, finishes up this letter, this short letter, and he reminds them a, a doxology, a, a praise pointing to God, pointing the reader to God, pointing our hearts to God as we begin this year. It is a great opportunity for you and I to sit back and then go, oh, look at all the things I got to do, or look at all the things I want to do, or look at all the things I plan to do. But for you and I to step back and go, okay, what are all the things that God has for us to do? So three steps, three steps for us to look at this year forward. Number one, decide who you will follow. Decide who you will follow. What do you mean, Spence, decide who you will follow? Well, there's a lot of opportunities of who we're going to follow. There's a lot of temptations before us of who we're going to follow. The question is, are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to follow man? Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to follow this world? Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to follow ourselves? Decide who you will follow because your direction will determine your destination. And what you worship will be what you become. And what you follow will be what you prioritize. Decide who you will follow. Secondly, discern what is important. Discern what is important. A couple of Thursdays ago, Jaylene had gone down for a routine doctor's appointment. She has this doctor's appointment. We've already got this induction scheduled for the following Tuesday. I'm at work. Let me give you my side of the story. Phone rings, Thursday afternoon, a beautiful wife's on the other end, and she says, they want to induce me now. Blood pressure issues, had some other things that come up. Doctor said, we want to send you directly from the doctor's office, Thursday afternoon, directly over to start the induction right now. And I'm like, No. <laughs> No, we haven't got the kids settled. I'm at work. We haven't got you clothes. I mean, this is just not a good time. I mean, did you tell the doctor that this is not convenient for us? What are you all laughing at me for? You all, you got you to gotta, you gotta think about these things. You say, we spent, you should, yeah, anyways. But it's the idea that it was kind of one of those things that, you know what, I, it's not a convenient time. And then as I'm sitting there listening to myself, I'm like, you're an idiot. You already thought about it. I'm already ahead of you. I'm thinking to myself, you're a bloody idiot. At this point in time, apart from my relationship with the Lord, the next thing that matters in my priority list is my relationship with my wife. And if I look at my wife and say, you need to put your safety and your health on hold so that I can finish my project, that's how you think about it. Don't look at me like, oh, I know what you're thinking. And it was one of those things, if I put all that on hold for me, then what am I saying is most important in my life? Not my wife, not my opportunity to be her husband, but some job that's going to be there when I get back. And it's amazing how God will bring those things into your life. And it may be a different circumstance, it may be a different situation, but he'll bring those things in your life where the clarity of what is important to you becomes very small. And it's one of those things that you and I have the opportunity right here today to say, I am going to 
settle this. I'm going to discern. This is important. This isn't. This gets priority. This doesn't. This comes first. This doesn't. This is what I'm going to give my time and my attention to. This isn't. And it's one of those things that you and I discern. This is what is important. You may say, well, Spence, you got some ideas. Yeah, I would start off with your relationship with the Lord. Your time with the Lord. Your faithfulness with the Lord. Your obedience to the Lord. You mean all these things you're saying, the Lord, the Lord, your Lord. Yeah, because there is nothing more important to you at this moment than where you are at in your relationship with God. There is nothing more important. And there is nothing more important for any other set of eyeballs outside of these walls apart from the relationship with God. There is nothing more important. There's no greater decision. There's no greater need. There is no greater opportunity than for us to have a right relationship with God. So we need to decide who we're going to follow. We need to discern what is important. And then finally, we need to devote ourselves for his glory. Devote yourselves for his glory. I caught a little bit of the TCU Michigan game. Those little Christian boys down there in Fort Worth. Sorry. Yeah, Fort Worth were making, making mischief over the big big yellow M, and as they were panning around the crowd, because it came down just to the few final seconds, they thought Michigan might be able to tie it with a touchdown, and so it's panning around the audience, and they're showing the Michigan fans, and they just got this look on their face like, oh, we're praying for a miracle, oh, we're praying for hope, oh, we have all of this tied into, and this whole stadium, a bunch of people, a bunch, bunch, a bunch of people in this place, all focusing on 22 guys in spandex, Chasing an inflatable piece of leather. That's what it is. <laughs> they'd spent money. They'd spent time. They'd spent resources. All this stuff to be there. And it's panning around and it shows not only the TCU fans, but it's also from the Mystic fans. And all they are with bated breath wondering what is going to happen. Can you imagine the difference it would make in this community? If every single Christian in this room was that anxious about the state of their eternity? What if every one of us in this room was so consumed with the glory of God that when that camera of life pans around to you and I, they don't see a big M painted on our face. They don't see us in the, the whole uh, swag, the, the, the regalia of the team that we're there for. All they see is God. How do we do that? We make everything about us bring glory and honor to God. Everything about our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. For whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So as Jude comes to the end of this letter, he says, make sure you understand that part of contending for the faith is bringing glory to God, living for the glory of God, doing the things that glorify God, behaving in the way that glorify God, modeling what it looks like to glorifying God, being a testimony of the glory of God, showing faithfulness for the glory of God, and doing all these things because of God's authority, because of God's priority, and because God is worthy of all of our glory.
So what are you going to do this year? What are you going to do? Are you going to lose weight? Are you going to shore up your retirement account? Are you going to get the promotion at work? Are you going to read that book that you've been trying to read for six months that's on your nightstand? Are you going to take that awesome vacation that everybody talks about? Are you going to go to that restaurant that you keep seeing people talk about on social media? Or are you going to spend this year saying, God, everything I'll do, I want it to bring glory and honor to you. What are you going to do with 2023? Bow your heads with me.